The phone conversation between fantasy veterans Bob Harris and Matt Waldman is a quick and dirty rundown of players, units, or teams from Sunday's games. Feel it or fuck it is our instant verdict on the fantasy value of a player situation, not the ability, effort, or character of the player. This is just how two old-timers in this industry talk when they got a lot of cover in a little time. But wait a minute. I think I got the wrong. Well, maybe I got the right number. Hey, Heath, how's it going, man? <laughs> what is going on, Matt? It's a, you haven't called me for a while. I know, man. It's it's my fault. But, you know, congratulations on the, uh, you know, on the new podcast, FF Today Dynasty. You know, that's good. That's pretty awesome over there at CBS. You know, the best part about it is we, we do this job and we talk about weekly rankings and weekly lineup decisions and. And obviously, there's a lot of right and wrong. The dynasty discussion, we just open things up, talk about things three years from now. Nobody's going to have any idea if we were right or wrong. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's we've removed all the consequences. And, and, unless you got all the elephants in the room and, and you tend to get, <laughs> get, gather those people because they remember that stuff, you know? So it's just, they, you got the longer memory audiences. But, you know, considering that, you know, while I got you here, let's talk a little. Let's talk a little bit about players in redraft and dynasty. So let's start off with Javante Williams. You know, the Broncos running back, he avoided the pup. Now, is this a good sign for redraft success? Probably yes. But how good do you think it is? And are you feeling him as a year-long starter? Or do you just have more optimism for him in dynasty? Or or not at all? Yeah, I, I, I'm... Feeling him as a low-end fantasy starter. I was pretty skeptical a couple of months ago. We saw how hard it was for J.K. Dobbins to come back from the ACL injury last year. We know what the track record of running backs in that first year back. And then I think Javante has something else kind of in, in the back of people's minds, or at least should be, and that's the fact that he's not really ever been a feature running back. And so I, I'm skeptical when guys have not done that and then coaches don't treat them like they are that. And then especially coming off of an injury with a head coach and Sean Payton, who's divided the workload at running back for the most part. So I, I, I think he'll be a low end number two running back and a high end number two for dynasty purposes, because the age is still fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I think that if you're going to, if you have him and you're going to you have a decent team and you're willing to just kind of hold on to him and just see if things go work out in his favor. I'm feeling that. But otherwise, if you're if your team isn't any good and you need to you need to start, you know, rebuilding, fuck that. I think I'm pretty good at the idea of just saying, look, it didn't work out for him at this stage. It may work out, but for all the reasons you mentioned, let's get somebody else up in there because you know, when it to me, I'm very skeptical with running backs coming off ACL tears in year one anyway. Right. Just from the standpoint of you look at what happened to Dobbins. I mean, he looked great second half of the season, but compensatory injuries are another issue that often happens with these guys where they look good maybe for three to four weeks early in the season, sprain an ankle, something else, because psychologically they just don't. They, they don't feel ready yet. So the, the body may say, yeah, you're 100%, but the mind's like, I just, I can't trust that leg and I'm gonna, I'm gonna end up compensating in some way with my gait that just screws all this up. And then you're dealing with a guy that's questionable and playing like eight carries like for five or six weeks. And, and by the time you figure it out, you, you wish you had never played him, you know? So 
I'm I'm just yeah I, I I'll take the I'll take the extreme cynical end on that one. What about Sam <laughs> Laporta though? He's you know rookie with the Lions, you know lots of good things saying what he's doing in camp, using him in the red zone. Are you feeling him as a redraft starter this year? No, and I we talked about this when you actually joined our podcast. I, I'm really 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 out on these first year tight ends. Um, I am pretty excited about Laporta compared to the rest of the class, and it, seem, it seems like compared to where everyone else is on him, I'm pretty excited about him as a potential, uh, a definite starter. But as a rookie, it's a it's a tough situation for him because we see the tight ends get off to slow starts. Well, his real runway is those first six weeks. If he could, before Jamison Williams gets back, if he could guarantee himself a, a chunk of that pie, and then Jamison Williams can fight for his. But I, I just think he probably gets off to a slow start, and then there are too many mouths to feed, and he's a rookie tight end. Yeah, I think that's probably the safe way to, to look at him for sure. Will I take him at the end of redrafts in 20-round leagues? Absolutely, as a right. shot in the dark. Especially if I took an elite guy, you know, probably, or one of the top five guys projected in the first 10 rounds at that position, and then just wait till like, round 18 and say, yeah, you know, what I'll do that kicker you know defense right. whatever i'm good to go but dynasty i'm feeling you on that i think he's a i'm feeling him as say a top five potential tight end in dynasty just because he's got the run after the catch ability he's really good in zone and he has some skills as an outside route runner against man to man how about you what do you think about him as a, a dynasty guy I think absolutely he has like he's not in my top five right now, but I think we're going to see a lot of turnover at that position in the next year, just in terms of rankings. I think you'll likely see a, a George Kittle, a Darren Waller, and we're probably a year or two away from a Travis Kelsey falling out of that top five discussion. And then I I think there's a lot better chance of Laporta paying off at his cost than I do Dalton Kincaid paying off at his current cost in both redraft and dynasty. Yeah, I mean, li listen, I, we can we could talk tight ends, and and you know the joke is from Clayton Gray, our our uh, our old colleague over at at Football Guys, is that you, you know you know you know that you know things have gone south when you have like a predominant tight end discussion about <laughs> fantasy. But you know, a lot of people want to make the running back situation seem that way, and you know, based on salaries lately, I mean, the way that. A lot of veterans have been let go in the landscape, you know, with the NFL. Is there, do you, are you feeling the idea that with the way the NFL is approaching the running back position that you need to alter your, your position in terms of strategy with the, with running backs and dynasty? And how would you do that if you, you're feeling that? I, I am feeling that. And like you, one of the things you said about Javante Williams, and if I'm not that close to competing, like we need to go, go a different direction. I, I look back at just a year ago, and I'm not just talking about my rankings, but the, the, the industry consensus, Javante Williams, DeAndre Swift, like these were surefire top five running backs, partially because of their age, and even their age didn't protect them. Like, I just think, and if you're not competitive, you have no reason to roster a starting running back. Yeah. Um, you should you should just, that should be the last piece. I want my stud quarterback, I want my three stud young wide receivers and then i get to that point then i'll go add some running backs i think the other side of that is if we have and, and hopefully Bijan becomes that guy right away but if we have young backs who are workhorses 
those guys are probably more value valuable now than they have been because there aren't going to be 12 to 15 of them. A lot of these guys that we see sitting on the waiver wire have been our workhorse running backs. And I don't think they're getting replaced by guys that are going to get 350 touches. They're getting replaced by Tony Pollard, who's elite over 250, and then somebody else for 150. Yeah. And so I think anytime we have a youngish guy who has already established himself as a true workhorse, that guy's value should really be a lot higher. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And it's a it's probably a safe way to build anyway. And I found recently over the past four to five years that for me, it's been like my anchor players in Dynasty are quarterback, receiver. Mm -hmm. and, a, and if I'm in a strong, you know, a, a bonus PPR league, absolutely the tight end, you know. And I right. feel like that I can stockpile quarterback and tight end. And if I hit on at least a couple of big names, then there's a scarcity at those, you know, at those right. positions. And then you say, all right, I'll take, you know, I'll trade you this guy for Nick Chubb, you know, or I'll trade for Jonathan Taylor or whoever it was that is coming off a huge year, young in their first contract with a good offensive line. And that works for two to three years. Maybe you get more out of that, but you're only counting on it for two to three seasons. Absolutely. And I think that's that's one of the nice things is that most dynasty managers, when they get ready to go into that rebuild, are thinking, okay, it's time to get rid of Nick Chubb. It's time to get rid of, I mean, two years ago, it was Derrick Henry, and he's still doing it. But yeah, that, there's always that marker of those available backs on teams that are, just aren't that good yet, that you can use the wide receivers to go get. Well, I obviously called the right person today when I look in the <laughs> background here, because, you know, as a, as a Justin Ross fan out of you know, at Clemson, um, you know, news yesterday was, yeah, you know, he's working with the ones early in training camp. Um, and he worked with Patrick Mahomes all off season and Patrick Mahomes pops was saying, I'll give you a name or two to watch for this season. And the first name out of his that came across his lips was Justin Ross. So are you feeling him as a short term or long term successor? to MVS, if at all. I, I mean, I know the rules and it's, I, I might break them, but I might be hoping, um, like I'm hoping against hope. I, I think with his injury track record, it's hard to say you're actually feeling it. Yeah. Um, I, but I'm very hopeful that he can stay healthy. You look at this receiving core and speaking of health, Kadarius Tony's already gone down, was not <laughs> on the field for day two of practice. Yeah. Um, You've got MVS, you've got Sky Moore. Apparently, the star of day one of camp was Richie James. Like, there's an enormous amount of opportunity here for Justin Ross. And he, I'm always interested, even if they have multiple injuries, even if they have a, a period of something going weird late in their college career. And those guys who are superstars at 18, 19 years old. And Justin Ross was that dude. And so I, I'm I'm still very very hopeful, but it's it's got to be a, a just like we talked about with Laporta, a, a round 19, round 20 dart throw right now. Yeah, I would agree with that. He's definitely that type of a dart throw, and I'll be considering him on that short list of guys. You know, like I said, in rounds 18 to 20, and 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 he reminded me a lot of Hakeem Nix. That's yeah. the kind of player you can put out on an island. You're going to be able to get deep play out of him. You're going to get better contested catch opportunities with him than you would with Marquez Valdez-Scantling if everything works out in terms of him reading coverage, being available, all of that. Um, I'm optimistic about the injury part, but I think that's the safe way to go. I'm glad you mentioned 
Richie James because I'm a huge Richie James fan, and it's and it's one of those deals where I know that Sky Moore is the the higher draft capital player, but if you don't, if you are a fantasy player and you don't have Richie James on your short list of free agent additions that you can get pretty much almost at any time in leagues that draft less than 20 players for your team. Um, you're doing it wrong because this guy is, you know, he's shown in, this will be his third spot, and he's already showing in his third spot that pretty much you have to be a, you have to be a top 24 caliber starter at wide receiver to beat him out. And if you don't beat him out, you're not ready at, at this stage to, to really assume that role. So if Sky Moore, for some reason, fades and right. we see Richie James in there, Richie James is in for a huge year. And he was a guy that, I mean, I didn't think he was the equivalent of Antonio Brown, but just like I joke that Khalil Herbert is like a was like a Dalvin Cook starter kit, I always thought that Richie James was an Antonio Brown starter kit in terms of what he can offer a team. Yeah, and I mean, as I've got the Chiefs memorabilia here in the background, so as a Chiefs fan, I'm hopeful that Sky Moore fulfills his potential and Richie James is not needed. But I think that's the thing is like going into last year and we missed this a little bit. It seems like everybody's on board with it with Rasheed Rice now. But rookie wide receiver in Andy Reid's system, I think it's understandable how bad last year went for Sky Moore, especially considering he'd only played three years of wide receiver before last year. But James gives them a floor that doesn't exist with Sky Moore. If he doesn't make a leap, like you said, if he fades, I, I don't think he's anything to fade from. He's got to make a huge leap from where he was last year. Yeah. If, and if he does, I think he could be a, bit, a really important part of the offense. But if not, yeah, Richie James is right there. I'm not sure that there's very many things that Juju did last year that Richie James couldn't do this year other than block, probably. Yeah, and you could probably say Richie James can't do better other than right. block, you know, when it comes to what he can do after the catch and win deep. You know, he has, he has that acceleration and skill. Maybe contested catch play yeah you know that would probably be more of a juju thing but juju's not going to get deep enough to have any contested juju has had a, a lot of practice at catching contested <laughs> because <laughs> there's somebody close to him usually yeah pretty much so you know another guy that you know seemed to have a very promising start and then we talked about him earlier as an example of javante williams is jk dobbins you know are you feeling him as much now that He's on the on the PUP list to start camp, and Melvin Gordon got signed. And were you feeling him at all in the first place? I guess. Yeah, I I I was kind of a little bit like hedging on J.K. Dobbins. I think because I do believe in the player that he that he was, and I think we saw that guy in the second half last year. I could not care less about Melvin Gordon. I don't think he has anything left, and I think it's a, I think it's a depth piece. Um, that could be wrong. I mean, this team gave a bunch of touches to Latavius Murray and Devontae Freeman and Kenyon Drake over the last two years, so right. they could prove me wrong. But the, the other thing about, and I don't know what you think about this. You'll, you have much more uh, insight than I will, but I don't know what this offense is going to look like for the running backs in that we've seen in the past Lamar Jackson's responsible for 35% of their rush attempts. And then the other two guys, the top two guys are pretty close. Well, that doesn't work 
if you're not a pass-catching running back, and he's not been a pass-catching running back either. So I, I love the talent. I'm annoyed by the pup thing right now. If it goes more than a week, I'll be more than annoyed. Right now, I'm just kind of annoyed and don't really understand it. Yeah. Um, but it, I would like some indication that he's going to be the – they're going to have a clear number one this year. Yeah, he's a high-ceiling, low-floor opportunity at a value, as a yeah. potential value. Because at Ohio State, he was a pass catcher. And you could see the use of him not just on those little leak routes in the flats that, you know, even Gus Edwards is going to catch those or, or a guy that everybody says he can't, he's not a receiver, but they throw the ball to him anyway out in those wide routes and the, and the, the screen passes and swing passes. But Robbins can also put moves on guys and win line against linebackers one-on-one on routes that work the middle of the field. And you could see that at like even versus Clemson in the playoffs a few years ago, but hasn't happened thus far. And part of that I think is first year you're a rookie. They don't want to put they don't want to put a lot of trust in you in the passing game. They showed they gave you the dump offs and you had some big plays there. Second year you're hurt all year. Yeah. Last year, you know you're still coming back from the injury. So I, I think that and then they started trust trusted Justice Hill as an example of a guy that they could yep. give a little bit more to. Now, I think Dobbins can be the all-around player, and Todd Munkin has mentioned that with Dobbins kind of complaining about his contract and that he wants to be a Raven for life and, you know, sign me to something a little bit longer, and the Ravens are like, let's see if you can stay healthy. They're at a bit of an impasse, and, and Munkin, meanwhile, is like, we really would like him in camp, which is kind of more the message of like, I want to trust you in the passing game because this is where you can shine and be a star because right. of that burst. So that's the opportunity for the high upside ceiling. But I agree that I'm not feeling him quite as much. And I'm and as someone who was absolutely in love with him as a prospect, um, I'm you, you know I I'm fighting against myself. I'm having to pry my fingers off my heart there and say, yeah, it's time to. It's time to fade him a little bit or wait for the to see how the value goes and observe before you just automatically take him. Right. So a guy that, you know, a lot of people, you know, love for his underdog story. And then, you know, the Patriots cut him earlier this um, spring is now signed in New York as Saquon Barkley's maybe the number two to Matt, you know, instead of Matt Breda. Probably the number three or the number four if he can stay healthy at least to start the year. And that's James Robinson. Are you, you feeling him as a New York Giant? This was more complicated because this used to be an easy fuck it. Coming off that injury, like even two years later, we just didn't have to care. Um, but there, there's been a little bit of hope the last couple of years. And so I think like you look at what Robinson did last year, and it was pretty awful. Yeah. But um, I have some hope that he is a little bit more athletic another year removed. And I do think like if you're, if Saquon Barkley misses time, I, I don't actually believe any of these running backs are going to miss games holding out, but if Saquon Barkley misses time because he pulls a hamstring or something, I kind of have been feeling the idea that James Robinson would be the guy to see 15 touches in that scenario. Yeah. He goes up on my list and I love your point about Achilles injuries and guys who deal with that. I mean, Dante Foreman has revitalized his yes. career and he was a guy that you would have looked at like, um, I'm trying to remember his name. The former kid out of Illinois who played with Detroit um, a long time ago, who was who tore 
his 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 um. I can't believe well, I can't. can't it's pretty much everybody who yeah. tore it before Devontae Foreman. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, that's it's just one of those guys. It's one of those deals that you you couldn't count on. Now it seems like it's okay. So, you know, continuing with the running back saga a little bit, Dalvin Cook. Well, are you feeling the idea now after seeing the news that he offered money to his accuser to deny um, domestic violence and you know um, claims? That and then she had already sworn under oath that it had happened, but he had still tried to offer her money anyway. Um, are you feeling the idea that that free agency with the Vikings was essentially the Vikings saying, "Yeah, we can't trust you. Um, either it's by we can't trust you either due to the situation and your behavior, or due to the fact that you offered this money and didn't tell us really what was we didn't really know what was going on." Kind of like the Kareem Hunt situation where. I think he said everything was cool, and then the videotape came out, and and Andy Reid was like, "Ah, you didn't tell us the truth. You're out of here." Do you think it's a similar situation with maybe the Vikings and Dalvin Cook? I think it's more about like the number two thing that NFL teams are looking for in a running back is a running back who is willing to work for very little money. And Dalvin <laughs> Cook, I, I think it's the reason yeah. that we saw that Melvin Gordon get signed yesterday. When Cook and Fournette and Zeke and Kareem Hunt are all still available, yeah, I think Melvin Gordon was willing to take less guaranteed money. Now, this—I was just thinking about this over the weekend. Like, when was the last time I think Deontay Foreman's the answer? A running back was not on a team to start training camp and mattered like significantly for fantasy football. It just doesn't hardly happen. There's some special circumstances, but I'm getting more and more of the opinion especially with the legal information that I I'm not taking Dalvin Cook or any other running back that's not on a team in the single digits. Yeah. I don't think Dalvin Cook's going to be a, a workhorse running back and there's now some risk that uh, I mean if he's stubborn about his contract and he has these legal proceedings hanging over his head, he may not be on a team week 1. I think it's a wise statement to say don't take any running back who isn't on a team um you know, before the before the season starts, and I would say at least a month before the season starts, um, because they unless they've played for that team with the same coach and system within the past two years, and, yeah. and significantly contribute. Say like if Zeke signs with the Cowboys a week before the season starts, the week the season starts, I'm fine with taking Zeke. If, yeah. you know, at that point, especially if Tony Pollard gets hurt and you're drafted late in the season and you can take Zeke in round eight or round nine and, and you know Pollard's going to be out for at least eight weeks, yes, I I would probably consider doing that um, in that scenario. But not most of them, the answer is probably no. And I think the reason why is that we, as fantasy players, we underestimate the the passing game and the yeah. and the and really the assignments that you have to understand as a blocker and as a receiver. And that means understanding all the, the language that the quarterback is using, the terminology, um, all the adjustments. And if you're thinking on the field any little bit, you're hesitating. And these guys aren't going to just not hesitate in a new, completely new situation. They're going to have to be told where to line up, what to do, where to go, and and the quarterback's praying a little bit if the guy's out there blocking. So that means most likely it's a situational role for them. And unless the team's 
getting ahead by like 20 points in the end of the, you know, you know, with 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter and they have the ball again and they're like, we're going to let you be the closeout back and get, get you, you know, two thirds to three quarters of your touches in that situation. You're not going to get fantasy points out of that. Exactly. And I, and I just think they are really NFL teams valuing more and more of those young, fresh legs at the running back position. And, and none of those guys who are still available have young or fresh legs. It's a sad world, man. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm feeling my age at this point. But, you know, speaking of guys who seem old before their time, Jets, you know, tackled Makai Becton. Really hasn't seen the field all that much due to injury. A lot of promise out of Louisville. But the, they're saying that Becton is off the pup. He has no limitations. He's on the field practicing. The Jets' offensive line was not very good last year. Um, and when you look at Aaron Rodgers, people are like, look how thin he looks. You know, the pictures on the social media going, yeah, he's going to have to run for his life. He's probably doing, you know, he probably shed it a little bit so that he could uh, – keep those legs going but uh are you feeling the jets possibly improving on their offensive line um when you consider the what may be reassuring news with becton i think that they will probably be better than they were last year just because they were really bad last year and those teams usually move a little bit towards the middle i am not feeling the idea that they're going to have an above average offensive line i'm not sure that they can be average i think they'll they'll probably be in that 15 to 20 ish range if i had to pick a spot and i don't that might be good enough yes for aaron Rodgers to work around it might be good enough for Brees hall to work around uh, they just need to not be terrible and i that's probably what i bet on bad but not terrible yeah and i think that a lot of that can be um attributed to Rodgers um mm. being a lot better than zach wilson and, and <laughs> everything and, <laughs> <laughs> right, you know, and just from the idea of just calling plays pre-snap and right. being able to make adjustments and get into the offense into opportunities that Wilson probably couldn't see. Um, so just on that alone, I, I would move them up seven to nine spots. Yeah, yeah. you know. So yeah, I, I'm I'm feeling you on that. Are you feeling Jordan Addison as say the Devonta Smith compliment to to Justin Jefferson the way that Smith's the compliment to AJ Brown? Even with the reckless driving charge, with that coming up, do you think he? What he went 140 miles an hour? There was a whole discussion on our football guys um, private message board about you know going 140 miles per hour. I won't mention who mentioned who who said they could though. I, I will just eliminate to anybody listening out there that Cecil Lammy did not give any input about this. Um, so, and I'm sure that, and I would bet that he's gone over 140 miles an hour. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I could try to put, put from memory my, uh, my top five football guys that may have, may have gone 140 miles an hour. I don't know. Like I, I should probably care about the reckless driving more than I do so far. I, I would have cared more if there was a substance involved. I would have, like, it's just, it seems like he did something really dumb and he's going to have to deal with some consequences, but mostly avoided the big consequences. And hopefully he's a 21 year old kid who learns from it and gets better. I, I, purely on the football field, I think 100% yes. He could be a Devonta Smith type compliment to Justin Jefferson. I think there's enough room in this offense. I mean, they were third highest in the NFL in situation neutral neutral pass rate. Through it a ton in a year they won 13 games. Everybody thinks they're going to win about half that many this year. They might lead the NFL in pass attempts. 
So I think there's enough volume to support Jefferson, Addison, and Hawkinson. And I think the fact that those other two guys that are there are going to take away some of the things the defense might have done to stop Jordan Addison if he didn't have so much help around him. I I love the answer. So I, I think that we can cl- conclude saying that we're feeling the theory of you, you know public safety and the and the actuality yep. of public safety. But based on the reality of this specific situation, fuck the question. So, (laughs) (laughs) but, but how about this? Another favorite of mine as a prospect was Denzel Mims. Mm -hmm. Now he's a Detroit lion. Now he got traded for a six round pick. Um, What are you thinking about him? Are you feeling him at all as a Detroit lion? You know, I, I think as a, a deep dynasty like 30, 30 man roster situation. I, I think he's a fine type of guy to go put a flyer on. Like generally, if you go through your first team and have as little productivity and as little chance to even get on the field as him, the second team doesn't fix it. But if a team was going to, this one would do it. And the guys who are in front of him, I mean, Josh Reynolds, Marvin Jones, who's on the NFI list, Jamison Williams, who can't play the first six weeks. Like, there's a little opportunity here for him in an offense that's pretty creative. And the Lions wanted him at least enough to swap a sixth and seventh round draft pick. So, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling it in the deepest of dynasty leagues. I'm feeling it mainly because Mims ran his mouth last year about not getting on the field and wanting to trade. They put him on the field, and he performed well in preseason. Then they put him in the in during the season when Corey Davis was either banged up or they had him in uh, with enough snaps that he was getting open, even if Zach Wilson was iffy on being able to find him. He's a he fits what um, Jared Goff does well as a thrower, so I like that potential with him. He's just not the type of receiver they were looking for. He's one of those guys that was the victim of a job change with the um, Jets administration. Yeah. They dra- they targeted him as a pro- as a priority. Then the new staff came in and were like, we don't want these types of receivers. So I think we're going to see a guy who has a real good shot to maybe make, you, you know, the a couple of, players on this team veterans expendable you know Reynolds Josh Reynolds certainly has a good feel with golf but Mims could possibly do that so I feel I like where you're saying where you should get him I think that's the right place to value him and I'll be taking that chance for sure he'll be on that high priority list for that um so George Fant former Seattle pick he was out of Western Kentucky tackle really out of his element you know not really a, a pretty raw player didn't really stick in seattle for very long jets had him which pretty much tell you everything you want to know about the fact that he's no longer a jet and the jets had him um now he's entering the territory of uh tennessee where the titans have a bottom dwelling offensive line after last year you know what does that tell you what's your feeling about the titans offense overall that they're giving a serious look to George Fant, and they already have a line that's on the bottom. I mean, I think the Titans' offensive line is terrible. Yeah. Um, it's real now. I don't know for sure that it's the worst in their own division because I think Jacksonville's offensive line could be pretty terrible this year as well. Um, but that they the 
the Titans have kind of rearranged the deck chairs this offseason. They had a terrible offense. They, they've made some changes. They still have a terrible offensive line. But it's going to be really interesting because it's also a team with Derrick Henry and DeAndre Hopkins on it. And so like those guys can cover some warts. And, and I've been guilty of this. I'm kind of tired of doubting Mike Vrabel. Yeah. Um, there's lots of times where I didn't think he had a very good team and they win the division. And so I, I would expect that he's going to get things figured out. And again, they're going to still be bad, but probably not as bad as they look on paper right now. Um, but it's going to be really interesting because if Der Derrick Henry loses half a step, he might be in real big trouble as bad as that offensive line is. Yeah, I think Mike Vrabel's kind of like the Bill Cower of this era that we have going on here, like a, a fairly resourceful, good coach who um, can make things work. And listen, if Derrick Henry played as well as he did last year with as bad of an offensive line as he did, and they had to throw Malik Willis in there for yep. a good portion of the time, and Josh Dobbs, it can't be that bad. I mean, like it's it's bad, but it's not killing it's not killing the fantasy prospects of the best uh, of of their best football player in terms of skill position that's available. And with what Hopkins can do, I I you know I'm not I'm not feeling the Titans offense because of George Fant. Um, I'm just feeling the Titans offense enough in key spots regardless of George Fant. Yeah. I think that's the best way to put it. So what about, you know, Fournette potentially signed in New England? Do you think that happens? Are you feeling that idea? Or, and and I'll say, let me rephrase it. Are you feeling the idea that they're going to sign Fournette with Ramondre Stevenson healthy? I am feeling that they are going to sign one. I, I almost feel like Bill Belichick has talked to each of these four backs. And we said the names over and over, but Dalvin Cook, Fournette, Kareem Hunt, Ezekiel Elliott, or at least three of them, and basically said, listen, one of you is going to cave and take the cheaper deal first. And whichever one it is, that's the one who's going to be on the Patriots. I And I, this is, I've been kind of betting against Ramondre Stevenson for a big part of this offseason because last year so much of what they did with him in terms of fantasy value was just based on huge volume. And we've seen most years Bill Belichick chops things up a little bit amongst his running backs. I think he'd like to have somebody to take some of that load off of Ramondre Stevenson. So I, I would expect, I mean, either that or we're going to hear a bunch more about how Ty Montgomery is finally going to play 17 games. But I, I think there's somebody... <laughs> Who gets added to that system? Okay, yeah, I need like a, I need some sort of, uh, I need some sort of prop whenever we mention something like Ty Montgomery, like <laughs> seventeen games. Will Fuller is going to play seventeen games, you yeah. know, anything like that. But uh, but no, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling the potential idea there as much as I like Ramondre Stevenson's skill set. I think that it's probably safe to look at the history of how the Patriots do things and and make that bet against him being their you know their everything back right. though I would like to see it I'm just you know it's it's nostalgia more than anything else as you can see as a pervasive theme on Monday I've been I must have had a good weekend or I'm just refusing to let go <laughs> so that I you know because all these questions I've asked you are about running backs somehow hanging on um are you feeling that the Pats execs really like Mac Jones more than Belichick and that, that Belichick's refusal to talk 
it, about him at all? Is really that he dislikes Mac Jones? Or are you just feeling the idea that these reporters need something to talk about when it comes to analyzing an introvert like Belichick who just is wise enough not to give anything up? I mean, like, it, you know what we mean by the word like, because I'm 100% feeling <laughs> the idea that people who work with Bill Belichick like other people in the building more than they like <laughs> Bill Belichick. No problem believing that at all. Now, do I believe any of them have the gumption to do anything about it, to choose Mac Jones over Bill Belichick after what the two of them have accomplished? No, not at all. I just, I, I think it's possible that Bill Belichick's not very likable to some people. Um, I think it's very possible that he doesn't think very much of Mac Jones. Um, and also, we just need something to talk about. Yeah, I think we need something to talk about. I think Bill Belichick's relatively neutral on Mac Jones. That's the okay. way I would put it. Yeah. I think he's probably neutral. And where and wh however he feels about Matt, Mac Jones is more about what Mac Jones can do on the field. Right. And I and I just think that he's one of those guys that probably is when when he's asked questions. Uh, I would just say that this is one of those deals where. Um, Patriots beat writers don't know how to ask questions. I'm feeling that idea a little bit more. And I don't mean they don't know how to ask questions, but they don't know how to ask the right questions to get what they want out of Belichick. And I would say that most reporters wouldn't know how to do that. And that's more about Belichick than it is um, the reporter right. skill. Um, let's end with a, another guy. I, you know, I'm, I'm, It's July. We're <laughs> almost into August. I like asking you about some of these players because it's a good... You know, we're looking at it from a dynasty perspective. Kyler Murray, you know, he's he's saying all the right things that nobody believes. You know, that's how I like to put it. Or maybe half the half the half of us want to believe he's a talented dude. Um, he still has, you know, I I think there's a lot of folks that feel like that the the Cardinals will be tanking and hoping that they will. Uh, get themselves a you know a shot at Caleb Williams or Drake May or whoever it is that they're they're gonna like and but and that may mean oh you know we're three and seven let's just end the season and let Clayton Toon be our starter for the rest of the time the former Houston quarterback who apparently is quote unquote impressing the early on in, in our in our first few days of camp. Are you feeling the idea of Clayton Toon as a as a year end or mid year starter in Arizona because of the news today or the or the recently? Yeah, I, I'm. I think I'm going to go with fuck it on this one just because <laughs> I that's the narrative that Kyler Murray's either not going to play this year or that they're going to sit Kyler Murray. I just I understand why we think that way, and occasionally sometimes executives think that way. I, I think the most likely scenario with a new coaching staff is they're going to go the uh, or try to go the Brian Dable route. Like let's, let's establish a winning culture. We don't need to go get a top five pick. Let's let's do things our way and, and win some games. And so I would expect. I think it's more likely that Clayton Tune is a week one starter because he beats out Colt McCoy and gets to start for a couple weeks at the beginning of the year, um, and then Kyler's ready. But I, I, and maybe I, I could be all wet. I just don't, I have a hard time believing, especially with like after this year, I think Kyler Murray has 81 million in dead money on that contract. So I, I think they've got to expect he's going to be their starter for the next two to three years. Yeah, I don't think anybody, I, I think that everybody understands that Kyler Murray is the most talented quarterback on the board in, yeah. in Arizona. But the, 
and I love the idea of saying, yeah, Clayton Tune is more likely to be an early starter. Thing is, is Colt McCoy outperformed um, Kyler Murray last year in the games that he played. Not statistically necessarily, but on film, he was a better decision maker, better in the pocket. And there's the counterpoint I would add to that, to maybe this, is that maybe the team looks at this and says, maybe the winning culture is to stop having the guy who points at fingers at everybody else <laughs> and says, DeAndre Hopkins, what did you do wrong on that route? when DeAndre Hopkins could probably teach about three-quarters to 90% of the wide receiver coaches what route goes with where, and that Kyler Murray might need to zip his lip and like listen to Hopkins say, on this particular coverage, this is why I did what I did. Right. And, and then Murray study the tape, you know, beyond the mandatory that's in his contract and say, oh, oh, he was right, rather than me, like, point the finger at him. Um, so... You know the counterpoint might be people saying that if if Murray could stop blaming other people other and point the and be account more accountable, he might be more of the winning type of quarterback that Colt McCoy might represent for what the culture wants, even though he may not have Murray's ability. So right. yeah, tune to me is like the the um, Ryan Finley type of start, you know, in yeah. before the Bengals got Joe Burrow. Like let's see what this kid has. We'll throw him in here. Maybe he'll surprise us, and he'll be on the roster next year as a reserve. And maybe he'll blow us away and actually have starter potential. Um, and we can consider their likely of that happening is close to nil. So, so yeah. But I'll tell you what wasn't close to nil. This conversation, man, it was awesome. And I, I appreciate you uh, picking up the slack for, for old Harris. You know, we'll, uh, well, I'll tell him that you said hello. Absolutely do. I, I appreciate you having me on. I always enjoy our conversations. Yeah, same here. And, you know, of course, you can find Heath over at CBS with FF Today's Dynasty podcast. Awesome podcast. He does great work over there. Um, and uh, definitely check it, check him out. Anything else you got going on over there you want to you know, just up, updating dynasty rankings today and getting ready to overreact to uh, training camp reports. It's the, it's the best best time of the year. Well, that's cool. We'll tell Dan Schneier said hello. <laughs> I, I have, I'll be talking to him tomorrow. Okay, man. Take it easy.